Chapter Fifteen of Cycling in the Alps by C. L. Freeston. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. What are the risks? Not a few persons with whom I have happened to converse on the subject have expressed astonishment at the possibility of cycling over the Alps at all, and appear to regard it as an eminently risky undertaking. This view has neither been confined to those wholly ignorant of Switzerland nor even those whose knowledge of the country is limited to favourite centres like Lucerne or Interlaken, in short, those whose journeys have been made by rail, and who know nothing of the diligence routes. Some who have actually crossed one or other of the passes by road have regarded with unfeigned amazement the idea of cycling down the tourniquet, and shuddered palpably at the recollection of those awful corners. To share these trepidations I find it quite impossible and I speak from actual experience of the highest, steepest, roughest, and most tortuous specimens of alpine roads. It is intelligible that a diligence passenger should entertain some degree of alarm when sitting in helpless consciousness of entire dependence on the driver's skill, the tractability of the horses, and the stability of the vehicle according to the breadth of its wheelbase and its relation to the centre of gravity. Parenthetically, it may be observed that even here there is no real cause for fear. The drivers know their work, which is to them a daily routine. The horses regard their task with unconcern, take things easily, and are long-lived, while as regards the possibility of overturning, the diligence is a weighty vehicle, and the animals are so familiar with the corners that they could in all probability make the entire journey without control. The driver's chief duty is simply to apply the skid, the cyclist, however, is in every way more fortunately circumstanced than the horse-drawn travellers whom he gaily passes in their usually solemn misery. His safety is entirely in his own hands, and provided only that his machine is adequately equipped with brake power, he is master of the situation. Let us consider in detail the main factors of presumptive risk in the negotiation, for lack of a better word, of any of the passes on the descending side. There is, firstly, the gradient itself. The corners come next in importance. After this, the degree of roughness of the surface, as affecting the steadiness of the steering, has to be considered, and the remaining items are the meeting of other vehicles, and the degree to which the roads are bordered with precipices that are unfenced. Under the first head, it is merely necessary to discover whether the inclination of the road is at any period so steep as to preclude the possibility of bringing the machine to a standstill whenever and wherever desired. Let me say at once that there is not a single spot on all the passes I have described where it is not perfectly feasible to pull the machine up at will, provided only that a good rim brake has been fitted, while the rider who has two brakes instead of one may feel the most absolute indifference on the subject of the cycle ever running away with him. The reasons why two brakes are better than one are set forth in another chapter under the heading of purely mechanical. For the present, it is only necessary to emphasise the fact that the question of gradient in its downward aspects need offer no obstacle whatever to an alpine tour. In the preceding descriptions of the various passes, I have given the altitudes at intervening stages of each journey, and anyone who cares to make comparisons will find that in no case, not even on the Italian side of the Stelvio itself, will the gradient prove to be as steep as certain well-known English hills 
such as Westerham in Kent, for example. There is a welcome absence, moreover, of the element of treachery in these long-drawn alpine descents. If the figures show a fall between two points of so many feet in so many miles, say 1,400 feet in four miles, it may generally be taken for granted that it is one of 450 feet throughout. There are slight variations, of course, in places, but they are surprisingly rare, and the tourist may feel assured that at no time is there any sudden or unexpected change, or that the 1,400 feet in four miles may mean a series of irregular undulations presenting terrifying gradients at one stage and something inconsiderable at the next. Indeed, in one sense, it may be said that touring among the passes is infinitely safer than ordinary riding in any part of England, because the element of uncertainty is almost entirely eliminated. You may have to drop 6,000 feet in the course of your downward journey. You may have to hold the brake on for the major portion of the time, and you may have a regular succession of corners which each require some care in the getting round, but you almost invariably know the worst of what lies before you, and have not to fear the innumerable tributary roads that feed an English highway with the possibility of a collision at each. The abrupt variations of gradients which characterise our haphazard and unscientifically built roads in every county, the awkward bends, the water splashes with unridable footbridges at the side, the hills that terminate in a double right-angled turn with a blank wall opposite. I could name a dozen right off the reel. In short, the oft-recurrent irregularities of feature which have led to the erection of danger boards in thousands all over the island. I have known a man say, after returning from a Swiss cycling trip, there are no dangerous hills in Switzerland, and in respect of this matter of abruptness of variation, the statement is perfectly true. The corners, it is needless to deny, do look somewhat terrifying at first sight. To take the worst examples, those on the Stelvio, it will be seen that the road practically doubles back upon itself several times over, and on the Italian side there are more of the parallel strata similar to the quartet depicted in the accompanying illustration, and even steeper in their fall. I was warned by an experienced tourist that though such corners as these were safe enough on a single, it would be impossible to take a tandem round them, but with the aid of rim brakes I was never under the necessity of dismounting. All that is necessary is to slow down sufficiently ere the bend is reached, in order to avoid overshooting the mark, and turn the front wheel well inwards within three quarters of the way round. With a tandem, of course, it does not do to be afraid of getting well to the outer edge before slewing the handles round, or there would be danger of the back wheel skidding. But no one accustomed to tandem steering need be afraid of taking his machine over this ground. As for single safeties, their owners surely need not be affrighted by the pictures of the zigzags when they reflect upon the fact that diligences are taken daily at a trot round these corners, and a diligence is a long-based vehicle and is often drawn by a five-horse team. Where a carriage can go, a bicycle can follow, up or down, and when it is remembered that all the routes described in this book are carriage routes, it may be added that they are, ipso facto, cycling routes as well. Ruts, to my mind, are a greater bane to the cyclist than side-slip itself, for they are infinitely more treacherous and horribly uncomfortable as well. The extent, therefore, to which one's riding is affected by the quality of the road surface 
is a matter of considerable moment to the cyclist who descends one of the passes for the first time. Broadly speaking, it may be said that the mountain roads generally are in surprisingly good repair, considering their altitude, the extremes of weather to which they are exposed, and the fact that the diligences descend them at a rapid trot, with the wheels locked in many places by the skid. Where actual ruts exist, I think that their presence may be ascribed to this cause more than anything else. As a matter of fact, however, the worst stretches for cycling purposes are those which pass through dense woods, and one does not need to go abroad to know the effect of overhanging trees upon a road surface. Between the altitudes of 3,000 and 6,000 feet, the arboreal vegetation is exceedingly prolific, and if the pass is cut right through a forest of firs or pines, it is likely to lose in surface quality what it gains in beauty. But though riding may occasionally be rendered somewhat difficult from this cause, the only place where I have ever found actual walking desirable for more than a few yards on a downgrade was in the Burgunestein Gorge on the Albula Pass, and the fact that it was nearly pitch dark at the time had no doubt some influence on the decision to dismount. Brief dismounts are occasionally required on the higher slopes by the patches of new metal which are laid annually in June after the melting of the snows. The longest strip I remember was on the Furka, just below the Hotel Belvedere, and it would measure perhaps 200 yards. There were several shorter ones on the Oberalp, especially on the Andermatt side, and some near the top of the Grimsel. But though these patches may be expected at any time on the upper heights, it does not follow that they will all be laid across the road, or that one cannot pick one's way at times through the loose stones. The only length of road that can be described as continuously stony is the Italian side of the Stelvio between San Maria and Bormio. But in this case the stones are not of the kind we call new metal, but are a permanent covering of what might be termed rubble, and though they make one somewhat apprehensive, perhaps needlessly so, as to puncturing possibilities, they do not seriously affect the steering, nor necessitate a dismount. As regards poor surfaces on level or comparatively level roads, the only instances that are impressed upon my memory are the border of the Poschiavo Lake on the Benina Pass, and the portion of the Engadine between Zernetz and Sousse. In the former case, however, there had been a heavy fall of rain all through the night, while in the latter it may be mentioned that the road passes through a gorge and is affected accordingly. The first time I cycled in the Engadine, however, as I have stated elsewhere, the road was in excellent condition, and may be so again before any reader of these lines may pass that way. Variable conditions are not confined to one particular country, and even as regards the stony patches above referred to, it cannot be said that they are present to a greater degree than that which may be met with in an English tour. The cyclist is always liable to find road repairing in progress at one place or another, and however inconvenient it may be for the moment, he may look forward with pleasurable anticipation to the improved condition of things when next he traverses the same ground. None of the alpine passes are so narrow that the meeting of a diligence or carriage inevitably involves a dismount on the part of the cyclist. The Stelvio is 19 feet wide throughout. There are others that are wider and some that measure less. The Albula, to the best of my recollection, is the narrowest of those on my list. 
of course one is subject to the good or ill will as the case may be of the individual driver in just the same way as though one were touring elsewhere as a rule one can see approaching vehicles from a long distance off owing to the gradient but if the road winds round a projecting rock there is no special reason why one should fail on the alps to exercise the caution that one would use at home when nearing a corner even if it be only in a suburban thoroughfare most of the horses wear full complements of bells around their collars and the jangling of these is generally enough to herald the approach of a diligence even if it be hidden from view and only a high wind or the rushing waters of some mountain torrent could prevent the signal being heard in ample time very often too a diligence is closely followed by a second with a string of extra post carriages and baggage wagons behind and when the whole cavalcade has passed no further vehicles may be encountered for many miles the only places where there is anything at all resembling continuity of traffic are the upper engadine generally and the road between the latter and the bernina summit this is a most beautiful drive and is naturally much in favour with visitors to pontresina one of the most awkward situations in which the cyclist on any of the passes may find himself in is fortunately of rare occurrence he may be descending a road which is built along a shelving cliff with the higher side to his left and the lower to his right as is shown for example in the illustrations of the stelvio the rule of the road being the opposite to ours it follows that if he meets a vehicle he should pass on the side nearest the downward slope which may be steep and which may also be unfenced truly this is a trying ordeal and one of which i have once or twice experienced the tremors when steering a tandem over a rutty bit of road and at the same time holding on two brakes because of the steepness of the descent but one can always jump off when in any real doubt as to one's ability to steer through the opening and if in my own case i chose to take the risk it was because it is less easy for two persons to skip off a tandem simultaneously than for a solitary rider to dismount from his safety so that a tandem steerer always prefers to stick on as long as possible there is another course open to the rider who is inclined to cringe at the prospect of taking the outer edge but is equally unwilling to dismount and that is to steer right across to the inside but he should decide quickly on the subject and make his move some distance away from the oncoming diligence so as to leave the driver in no doubt as to which rein to pull he will appreciate the fact that the crossing has been done through no careless violation of the rule of the road but from pardonable fear of the consequences of steering between the diligence or other carriage and the off-side of the road more important than the meeting of casual vehicles is the extent to which the passes are protected or unprotected by fences throughout speaking generally it may be said that they are fenced the stelvio it is true has only stone sugar loaves to mark the edge but the road is comparatively broad the albula if i recollect aright is unfenced near the top on the western side and the road is narrow all things considered i think that a short section of this pass is the least safe of any i know for descending purposes in the lower engadine also there is some amount of unfenced roadway but neither here nor anywhere else is there anything to cause material apprehension to a rider of average ability with a normal amount of nerve if these qualifications are absent alpine country is better left alone 
as a cycling ground at all events. But personally I should feel anxious as to the safety of any rider of this class, even if he were only dodging butcher's carts in the roads of his own suburb. The salient factor in the situation which I cannot emphasise too strongly is that there is nothing in alpine cycling which demands exceptional ability, as distinct from nerve, on the part of the rider, if only his machine is in good order and adequately equipped with brake power. This distinction between skill and nerve is a vital one. A tightrope performer exemplifies both when balancing himself sixty feet above the earth. He would display skill, however, such as the ordinary individual could not emulate, even if the rope were but six inches from the ground. The said ordinary individual, on the other hand, may be affected by nervousness where no skill to speak of enters into the case. He could trundle a wheelbarrow along a plank laid on the ground, but would be sure to tremble if the plank were suspended between scaffold poles. Applying these analogies to cycling in the Alps, I should say that at no time is there anything which demands a skill above the ordinary, akin to that which the equilibrist puts forth, if only six inches from the floor, as compared with the usual mode of walking. And there are few, if any, occasions when the doing of what is perfectly feasible in itself is likely to be left undone for lack of nerve, under the influence of attendant circumstances. For my own part, I address these assurances to the nervously disposed, with the sympathy begotten of that fellow feeling that makes one wondrous kind. For so far from being the fortunate possessor of a phlegmatic disposition, I am both medically assured, and know full well to my cost, that I own a highly strong temperament, the nerve strength of which has scarcely been improved by many years of night work on the daily press. By this personal confession, I hope to be acquitted of the charge of recommending to all and sundry what is only suited to the skilled and fearless rider. The machine itself, if not conforming to the conditions hereafter laid down in chapter 17, may at any moment be a source of accident and even disaster. But actual riding on the passes is in no wise a thing to be feared, and I would willingly go over anew every yard I have covered a wheel in Alpine territory, without hesitation and without a qualm. Before leaving altogether the question of vehicles, or that of unfenced precipices, I should mention that a more troublesome thing than either meeting the former or keeping away from the edges of the latter is the passing of a diligence that is going the same way as oneself. The roadway may be narrow at the time the vehicle is overtaken, and the attempt to squeeze past may be successful so far as the wheels are concerned, but the swinging cross-poles of the horses may be quite another matter, and the imminent possibility of a nasty knock may force one into the fence. Now the diligence drivers have occasionally been charged with what a Yankee would describe as pure cussedness in this matter of letting cycles pass. No doubt there are certain instances in proof of the allegation. My own experience, however, is all to the contrary effect. It must be remembered, for one thing, that the cyclist bell is but little known in these high latitudes, and what is still more to the point is the probability that, in nine cases out of ten, it goes absolutely unheard, even if vigorously sounded. The diligence of itself makes a considerable noise as it rumbles adown a pass with the drag in situ, but the clangour of five strings of bells on the necks of as many horses is enough to reduce the tintinabulation from the cycle to sheer impotence. 
as evidence however that the diligence driver who does realize the presence of an approaching cyclist from the rear is not the unmitigated churl that he has been represented to be i may quote an incident that happened to my little party the last time i was in the engadine we had overtaken a diligence in the narrowest part of the whole valley namely the gorge between chinoskel and zernetz the vehicle in front was empty except for the mails and was going fairly fast and i was not proposing to attempt to pass as i knew that the ravine would shortly open out but the driver had seen our machines outside an inn at chinoskel where we had called to allay our thirst and was on the lookout for our catching up to him again as we had already passed him once when higher up the valley the moment he saw that the tandem was close behind he not only drew aside to the fullest possible degree but actually pulled up his team to a dead stop to add to this good-natured act he raised resounding whistles when we had passed to warn the driver of another diligence some fifty yards ahead this was no ordinary consideration only it was absolutely generous there is one class of risk remaining to be dealt with which it is more necessary to take into account than when touring in more commonplace regions and that is the effect which weather variations may have upon the comfort of the traveller it may be said at once that there is no cause for alarm under this head providing one's daily programme be mapped out with a prudent contemplation of possible eventualities lofty as are these wonderful passes they are not so remote from civilization as to afford no shelter for man and beast at reasonable distances and if belated by stress of weather one may dine and sleep in comfort even seven thousand feet above the sea as for example at frausenhoe on the stelvio if rain comes on heavily and shows no prospect of abatement there is nothing for it but to sport one's mackintoshes and trudge along bravely to the nearest inn and one may have to go no farther and probably even less far than if touring in wales or ireland in both of which countries i for one have endured more hardships than in switzerland the genuine tourist is prepared for these contingencies and there is nothing in the alps so far as summer is concerned from which he need shrink appalled for the encouragement of the reader who proposes to venture upon an alpine tour a wheel i may point out that there is no need to draw the worst conclusions whenever rain begins to fall it often happens that the shower even if heavy is confined to a particular stratum of the atmosphere and you may ride through it at a six thousand feet level for example and when you get farther down the pass say to four thousand feet you find that not only is it there perfectly clear but that no rain has fallen at that altitude at all sometimes moreover one walks or rides into a damp mist which is more or less disconcerting perhaps at first but it will probably not be too opaque to prevent the continuance of the journey and here too it will be found that the condition of affairs is limited in its presentment and that you may burst into bright sunshine after a brief interval unless in exceptionally bad weather i do not think that these mists are likely to be met with to a trying degree and so far as my own experience goes out of all the passes i have crossed i have only once had to walk through vapour in this way it was while ascending the julier from the tiefenkasten side and i might add that the experience was one to be coveted rather than otherwise because of the heightened effect which the engadine unfolded after the mist had been left behind and the splendid panorama of that lovely valley came gloriously into view 
End of chapter 15